Are you ready, Christine? I sure am. Are you ready, Ma? I am. Let's go! Let's go to Berlin. Willkommen! 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 We are watching a classic ensemble picture about a group of guests at a posh Berlin hotel who struggled through scandal and heartbreak. We are doing 1932's Grand Hotel, which we have been um, saying we're going to do for quite a while. Am yeah. I the only one who didn't know if there was a point? <laughs> well, or did no, I not follow? No, the the point of the film is that this was an MGM film, and this was the first time because up until that time, it had been considered uh, like not a good idea to have more than two stars in a film. So this okay. movie is really the first time that an like, ensemble cast. Yeah. So, so that was the point. Yes. Yes. Because I was really excited in the beginning. I loved the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ooh, this is gonna be great. And then mm -hmm. I said, where did we go? And I tried to come back. And I, I know. And then and then I even tried to I started it like 30 minutes in again. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I'm back to the crossword puzzle I was doing. Yeah, it, it was disappointing to me. We'll discuss, but okay. I wanted it to be uh, like, uh, was it dinner at eight? Yes, that came after this. Yeah, like I wanted it to be have some fun in there. I mean, I thought Joan Crawford, I liked her character a lot. She was sassy and mm -hmm, irreverent. But uh, yeah, I was waiting for... Although the have-nots are the one that ended up the haves at the end, but well, mm. well, it's it's interesting because so um, films were the uh, you know when films first started they were silent pictures and it wasn't until the end of 1927 when the jazz singer came out and that was considered the first talkie film, but even that didn't it only had talking sequences so this movie comes out five years after that and in the in-between time this is kind of the first time that sound in movies um really kind of didn't feel so clumsy ah. because prior to that and then there's also a lot of stuff with the all these actors that were in this were also actors in silent films but oh. a lot of the people that were big stars in silent films didn't make the transition. It was a lot like if you ever heard uh, the first time that you heard Patrick Mahomes talk. That, and then put that with a movie star. So there were a lot of movie stars that they were big time stars, but then they had like funny voices or the audience wasn't expecting them to sound the voice like that. didn't match what. Yeah. And so like now was. you don't, I remember the first time I heard Patrick Mahomes speak, I was like, huh, I did not think that voice would come out of that man. And now I don't even think about it. Right. So he kind of probably wouldn't have made the transition from silent film star to the talkies. Right. And then so, now that you say it, it was 1932. It didn't feel like yeah. I was watching a 1932 movie. It felt like old, like newer, I guess. Yeah, posh. Also, I mean, because it was pre-code. 
So it was able to tackle things. Can I tell you something? Yes. Off topic, kind of. So I've gotten really into, Has it, is anyone playing Wordle? Yes. Oh, you are? Okay. Um, so that, of course, isn't enough because it's only one a day. And so <laughs> I've been suckered down the New York Times $4.99 a month thing for their games. And I've been doing the New York Times crossword puzzle. Well, of course you And have. if you ever want to feel stupid, just do one. But yesterday... Wait, don't the New York, don't those go like Monday's the easiest and then by the time you end up at like Friday, those are the hardest? I mean, Sunday's the hardest. I opened oh, it today okay. and the amount of squares is crazy. Yes, me. But yesterday, I got a word with no things around no. it. And the clue was like early uncensored Hollywood films. And I knew that it was pre-code. <gasps> Look at that. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. I love that. Yep. That was all. Pre-code couldn't be a wordle word because it's too many letters. Mm-hmm. Oh, they are I, like six letters? I, I do it every That's morning. It, every day. Oh. Me too. A five-letter word. I have a really good start one. What's your start one? Dare I tell you? Irate. Are you kidding me? That's Blair's. <laughs> oh, holy shit. Because Br- Blair's really smart. I came my... up with that on my own. Oh, my God. Mine is Ray's. But I tried. Yeah. Yeah. I Because like you knock three vowels out. And an S-N-R. And the R, and, and then with irate, it's the T. But then I tried irate the day after she told me, and I almost didn't get the damn word. Now, I didn't get the word two days ago. It's the first time I ever didn't get it. Luckily, they don't count the times that you put in a word that's not a word. You know, they just bounce know. that back to you. Because <clears throat> yeah. I do that a just lot. They're guessing, yeah. Okay, Aaron, particulars? The particulars. Grand Hotel opened April 12th, 1932. It was produced by Irving Thalberg, a.k.a. The Boy Wonder. You have a quizzical look on your face, Mama. That was Grammy and Pa's anniversary, but not 1932. <laughs> April 12th, 1947, I, 46, because <laughs> Babs was born in 47. So, yeah, <laughs> was their anniversary. Yeah, oh. it was, oh, I thought it was, I thought it was the date the Titanic sank, too. It's, yes, Titanic-y times. Okay. Around that time. Um... He was the boy wonder. He helped create MGM and was the head of production from 1925 until his death in 1936. And when he died, he was 37. Dang. He was married to Norma Shearer. He had, he had a, he was a sickly. He had bad heart. Oh. Mm. The director. You have to do more Norma Shearer. I loved her. Whatever yeah, she was really funny. Mm-hmm. But I think that she kind of retired after 1936. Mm-hmm. I think she was just like, uh, my husband died. I'm sad. And also he was the head of MGM. Now who's going to look after me? Now I got this Joan Crawford and all these women who are younger. 
breathing down my neck. You can have it. You can have it all. I'm going to go be fantastic. I hope. That was just what I hoped. Um, director is Edmund Golding. He also did The Razor's Edge. There was a 1947 version of Nightmare Alley because Guillermo del Toro released one this year with Kate Blanchett and yeah. Bradley Cooper. Um, so I didn't know that that was a remake. He also did Dark Victory. The writer is William A. Drake, who also wrote Strange Justice and The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. It's based on his play, his 1930 play called The Grand Hotel, which was then also based on the 1929 novel Mention im Hotel, which stands for People in the Hotel, Auf Deutsch. And that was by Vicky Baum, who was an Australian writer. An, I'm sorry, Austrian. I do that a lot. Yeah. Austrian. She was born Especially in for Indiana. somebody with some dyslexic issues, that's really an easy thing to do. You yeah. are forgiven. It looks basically like the same word to me. Uh, she was born in Vienna to a Jewish family. She was also a boxer. She went to go train at oh. a, a boxing gym and stuff. Um, she's considered one of the first modern best-selling authors. Damn. She wrote more than 50 books. Uh, ten of them have been adapted as motion pictures. Her works got banned by the Third Reich. Oh, I want to read them then. And she became a U.S. citizen in 1938. And she also wrote screenplays as well. So she saw the writing on the wall and those feet don't fail me now. Uh, the music is by William Act, who was MGM. He was part of the MGM music department. He also did Dinner at Eight, The Thin Man, and The Wet Parade. Okay. Is that pre-code? <laughs> the director of photography is William Daniels, who also did Greed, Dinner at Eight, The Nachka, The Shop Around the Corner, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, and the original Ocean's Eleven. Among other films, gosh, what a what a span this guy had. What a career. I know I've asked this before. He was the director of photography? Yes. And that's different from cinematography? No, it's the same thing. It's okay. the cinematographer, the director of photography. Because he did great. I loved he, a couple of his shots. He did. It was fantastic. The editor is Blanche Sewell. She also she worked from MGM from 1925 to 1949. She worked on The Wizard of Oz, The Gorgeous Hussy, and It Happened in Brooklyn, to name a few. Ooh, it happened oh. in Brooklyn. Nerd alert. Her brother was married to the sister of Walt Disney's wife. So that made her Walt Disney's sister-in-law, I believe. Oh. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, like, God damn it. We got to have another another holiday at Disney World. <laughs> well, they didn't have Disney World then. I don't even think they had Disneyland then at that time. Like, OK, well, now, God damn it. I married into Walt Disney family and Disney World doesn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> Disney World doesn't even exist. He's just this weird, creepy, anti-Semitic man who is talking about freezing his body so, so that he can come back to life. Yeah. Uh, that, that old rascal Disney. Starring Greta Garbo as Griginskaya, the dancer. 
Greta Garbo is a huge star in the silent pictures. Um, she was a Swedish actress. She was in Nanachka, which was the first film that we saw of hers. And that was one of her later works and where she did comedy because she was known for doing brooding period pieces. I want be to be alone. Alone. Um, she was also in Camille and Matahari. At this point in time when this movie came out, Garbo was dubbed the greatest money-making machine ever put on screen. Oh, so she is. She did have a presence. It. She did have a presence. Kim Kardashian yes. had not come about yet. No, we have John Barrymore as Baron Felix von Geigern, aka the Great Profile. That's what he was known as. He's a member of the Drew and Barrymore theatrical families, and yes, he is Drew Barrymore's grandfather. Mm. So Lionel is her great. So is Drew Barrymore named after a Drew family? The Drew family? Yes, that's a family mm. name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, he was also in Dinner at Eight, Arts, Arns Lupin, and he apparently did a very highly regarded Hamlet. He was in. Uh, he had theater training, so when they went to talkies, he was able to survive because he had the theatrically trained voice. But um, he, like a lot of the Barrymores, loved the alcohol. Yes. Hmm. I think it was in their blood. I mean, I, you know, the whole family had trouble with that, even to Drew. Mm-hmm. Um, Joan Crawford as Flem. Flemshin, or Flem. Uh, she was the stenographer. We know her from Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and Straight Jacket. She was also in Mildred Pierce and The Woman. This, She was also in many, many silent films and many other films before this, but this is kind of the film, because by this time in real life, Joan Crawford was married to Douglas Fairbanks Jr., whose oh, father shit. was Douglas Fairbanks, so he was a big deal. And oh Douglas Fairbanks' wife was Mary Pickford, and in the silent films, I mean, she was a huge deal. She was one of those creators of United Artists pictures. Like, Mary Pickford was huge. So she kind of married into this Hollywood royalty, basically. And remember when we did Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and Straight Jacket, we talked about how she kind of rose into prominence and had a really tough life, a childhood, and all she wanted to do was be an actress, and she saw that avenue. She went the way of being a flapper and really getting into that and a dancer. And so this is her kind of on that upswing trajectory, and she's she's a star by this point, but she isn't. This is what kind of puts her up mm-hmm. and makes her into mm-hmm. a superstar. We have Wallace Berry, who was... General Director Pricing. He was also in Dinner at Eight, Men and Bill, Viva Vila, and Dev- and Hell Divers. Uh, Lionel Barrymore, who was the older brother of John Barrymore. Oh, he was a brother. Okay, brother. It was Lionel, Ethel, and John. Okay. Hmm. Um, and he played Otto Kringling- Kringleline. He's the brother of John Barrymore. He was also, we probably 
probably most famous as Mr. Potter in It's a Wonderful Life. As soon as you hear his voice, you think it's a wonderful life. Why am I thinking it's yeah. a wonderful life? Uh, he was also in Dinner at Eight, You Can't Take It With You, and Duel in the Sun. We have Gene Hirschholt, who I was like, I know that name. Oh, my gosh. He was Semf, the porter, who was it, – it was his wife that was in oh, okay. labor. That's Gene Hirschholt. Mm. He was also in Greed, Heidi, and Emma. He The reason that I knew his name and that you might is he helped – Form the Motion Picture Relief Fund to support industry employees with medical care when they were down on their luck. And in 1956, after he died, that was when the Academy Awards created the Gene Hirschholt Humanitarian Award. That's where we heard. Yes. So every time you watch the Oscar ceremony, there's always the Gene Hirschholt Award, and that's Gene Hirschholt, and that's who it's named for. Because just like with professional athletes, the the um, stars are paid way high, but all the supporting characters do not make a, a very good living. So yeah. they would need that. And especially you know, the people behind the camera. Mm-hmm. Yep. All the people who actually, you know, make who... Basically, the industry is on their shoulders. Exactly. Behind the the scenes. Do the makeup. Do the costumes. Mm -hmm. So those are the particulars. Outstanding. Mm. The movie begins with several switchboard operators directing calls. I love that. Mm -hmm. That was so fun. That was when I was like, we are in for a treat. And you Mm -hmm. know, they know everything going on because they could listen in to the phone calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, we meet a baron in need of money, a young American stenographer in need of money, a dying textile worker spending all of his money, the textile merchant he worked for, an aging uh, who needs money, an aging <laughs> depressed Russian ballerina. Who needs her uh, ego stroked? I just need and a disfigured doctor who gets no messages. What could go wrong? Wait, wait, what could go wrong? So uh, it is, as we said, an ensemble cast. So there's lots going on at the hotel. So people of color, not oh, No, there is one. There was a single black man who was the bartender. He was oh. a, I saw him. I was like, because I had put down my pen and pencil and sat back and was like, I do not need to be waiting to and shutting down because there's going to be no black people in this film. And then this man showed up. No, no speaking word. Bartender. And a bartender, and I was like, what's his story? I want to hear what his story is. And he was probably like, I was in I was in France after the war, you know. <laughs> and I didn't go home. And then he's and then he's like, Oh, but I am it, the temperature is rising. I am I'm getting back. How I, I will be headed back to the old Jim Crow South because I do not like the way that the wind is blowing out here. So cast now this this because okay because I have 
trouble uh, retaining cast versus class? Well, well it's yeah, kind of one but... of is it, it, so that's pretty much the same. It's cast versus race that is based on exactly how you look. Class is part of cast. Yeah, you can have a cast system based on class, but that's not the caste system that it's... The, the caste system in the United States is set up based on the color of skin. Right. But there's also caste uh, within class. And that's what we had in this movie. Yes. Money. Although there was a mention of the Manchester Cotton Company, because that's what pricing yeah. had to go. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. Where's that cotton? Someone owes from? me some money. <laughs> where are my reparations? That's right. All that free labor to make. Oh, where did you get all that cotton? I didn't know Manchester grew cotton. They didn't. They, they didn't. That's the imported point. it. Yes. <laughs> and they made all their money off of all that free labor. Exactly. That's my point. Someone owes me something. And women, of course. I mean, you had to have a man to. I have a deep dive. Go. Oh, yeah. A medium dive. I didn't dive that deep. I took a dip. <laughs> Um, she dove into the shallow end. Yeah, she didn't yeah. need to worry about getting the bends or anything. So I, lo I looked into, I was like, let me look up stenographers. Oh, good. Um, and I, I ended up going this way instead of that way. So, uh, and job, this is a job advertisement. And I'm, granted, this is in the United States, so I can't speak for, where were we? Berlin. Oh, 1930s Berlin. Berlin. <laughs> okay. Well, just pretend like Berlin is the same as the United States. You know, one could. They also had stenographers. And yes. it seems like women stenographers were in the same boat. Similar. Mm -hmm. So in the 1920s in uh, the United States, there was an ad. These are two different ads. One is Wanted, stenographer and typist with knowledge of bookkeeping, 18 to 19 years of age, give previous experience and state religion, oh. $18, $18 a week to start. A week. And then same year, there was a posting, wanted, young man stenographer, position in executive office, large corporation, $125 a month. Wow. So, and then they were saying in the, they, like, women often work as telephone operators, mm -hmm. earning $20 a week in Chicago. So in smaller towns, they probably earn less. Then I went down this, I found this article. That's like a blog. Witness to fashion. Oh. But it has all these clips from like catalogs and newspapers about women living on $18 a week in the 1930s and uh, like looking through catalogs and wondering how these women could serve. It was about like your fashion budget. Um, and it was saying that 
like basically most women could expect to earn $18. White women could expect to earn $18 per week. So they were like one woman wrote, my work is stenography and typing in one of the principal offices of a large firm. So it's necessary that I at all times look well. My wages are figured at the rate of 40 cents an hour, which usually averages up to $18 a week. With these facts in view, will you please send me a budget plan for my particular requirements? So not only are they only getting paid $18 a week, but they're like, I work in these offices, so I have to look good. Right. Mm -hmm. I have to spend money on clothes. Um, and then uh, there was another clipping that said for several years, I could not expect to earn more than $18 a week, even though I was a, a bit above the average beginner. Therefore, my small salary would be just, would just about pay my board and keep me in lunches and car fare with nothing left. I needed new clothes for the office because my dress was so shabby. And that's what, what's her name was talking about when she only ate one, what was her name? Meal a day. Phlegm. Yeah. Phlegm. How could I forget? Uh, she only ate one meal a day and that dickwad was like, why are you reducing yes. the size of your and body? She was so like, not to like no body shaming or nothing. This is just a sheer observation. She was very thin. Very. Slim. Joan Crawford mm -hmm. was very, very and they slim. even commented on it multiple times. Like the creepy guy was like, oh, you're so thin. You're so slender. Well, he was German, mm -hmm. so he's used a little more meat on his bones. Well, he liked he liked the the reduction. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there was another article in 1936 titled "Can a College Girl Dress on a Dollar and a Half a Week?" And it basically gave like a budget of how much you could spend per year on clothes. So like you could spend $6 a year on hats, wow. $6.25 on a winter coat, which also the prices of clothing. Oh my God. Yeah. Basically you had a $76 per year budget on your clothes. Um, and it concluded that the average co-ed who steps into the working world earns an average of $80 a month or $960 a year. By being economical, she can live decently and comfortably on $750. If she does not live at home, she will spend approximately $30 a month for food, $20 for lodging, $78 a year for clothes, which allows nothing fancy, and $75 a year for incidentals, a total of $753. Thus, she can have her cake and eat it, nail her budget to the figure set, join a savings club, and see the world. Wow. Fuck off. That was exactly. in 1936. But that's 1936, but isn't that the same that, that if you open up your news app, you'll see the same thing oh, now? Absolutely. With like all you well, have to do but is the fact yeah, yes, probably. Well, I don't know. I think you're seeing more now about it, but like the fact that they were just like, you could do all of this making this bullshit yes, amount of money. Yes. At least people now are talking about it. Not that it's mm -hmm. changing, but and that's and then that's the reason why then somebody like um look this is your spoiler alert warning so i think this movie is it's available for rent i think it might even be on hbo max to stream um so you've had your warning you know how we roll on this it was podcast. only 1.99 on apple tv yeah yes yeah so i recommend checking it out for the hollywood history um 
but that's why she was in the Flem was in the position where she was, where because she wanted she was an aspiring model actress, and that's why when the guy is like, "Oh, come be my stenographer in Manchester," she's like she's negotiating with them, even though she knows exactly what he wants and what it means. It's you know, like she's she wouldn't consider herself a sex worker that's walking out on the street. Yes. But she is right. willing to use what she has to get to where she needs to be. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And that's what women have been doing from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that would only be $18,000 a year. $18,700 a year now. Um, 18000 a year now. Yeah. But also, I um, New York City just passed a law... Um, starting, uh, I don't know. I think it's in May. It's a new pay transparency law that will require an employer to advertise a job promotion or transfer opportunity. Um, I think you have to post the, the range of pay with any job that's posted. Oh, that's good Mm -hmm. to know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just some wild times. Is yeah, I mean, um, teachers in Fairfax County, new teachers cannot al- afford a one-bedroom apartment here in Fairfax County. I mean, they have to. Yeah, li- right. They have to have a roommate. Everybody, yeah, everybody, like basically <laughs> has to. And <clears throat> then it's if you have kids, forget about it. Oh yeah. Um. So I did, of course, for cast, we, uh, according to a precode.com film review, it pointed out the rich snuffing out those simply trying to get by honorably. And I put an asterisk around the honorably. Um, they also said that that was common precode theme, the depression era anxieties that capitalist society is weighted severely against the little guy. But then it said honorably, but the Baron was a thief. So, yes. I yes. mean, like, and was he really a Baron? Yeah, I, well, probably. I don't think so. But. You know what, though? I mean, Ma, we come from a, a family, apparently. Of, yeah, well, that's true. And, you know, the of the, the wars and the lines get crossed and people make bad decisions on... All People sorts of things. Run away with the coachman instead of sticking with the elite. Yeah. Yeah, but then what happened in the First World War? And then, I mean, hold on. Wait for it. So, and then the only... So, Kringaline and the hotel staff are considered the little guy, but we only hang out with Kringaline. Semp is the only kind of character that's that we kind of see and he's just bookends the film basically as mm-hmm. you know the worker right. of the hotel we never get to know any of the hotel staff who are the mm-hmm. true little guys and you know everyday people um the ones that are working it to keep all of this this grand hotel going so then i got you know a little bit of a rabbit hole because part of it was this is berlin the early 30s we'll say 1932 so you're looking at it it's easy for us to see oh berlin 1932 the grand hotel the 
the chinchillas and the minks and thinking everything's great. That made me like what you were saying about the Baron. Is he a Baron? Because it seemed like the Great Depression's going on all over the world. So there's an element to me that I'm thinking like, oh, look at all these rich people like keeping up appearances. And I wonder how because everybody in this film was like uh, either about to be broke or on the cusp of being broke. Um, so it was like how many people, because this is the depression, are living outside their means, which then I was, you know, in my nerd alert, I was looking at what was going on and I came across in Germany, they had what was called the great inflation. But excuse me, it was more hyperinflation that happened in 1923. And this is wild. So in this, because it was in the, uh, I don't know what article it was. I think it was in the pre-code film thing. But they pointed out how the hotel was an oasis in the middle of abject poverty and chaos that was going on in Germany at this time. So... The hyperinflation that happened in 1923, prices doubled from 1914 to 1919. So remember, we have the First World War and wow. all of that stuff. And so when, when we'll get into it in 1930, in like the nerd alerts for that. But then again, in just five months, they doubled again in 1922. And it was insane. They printed a billion mark note that came out there was somebody there was a story of somebody that got tipped one american dollar and went home to the family and took it to the bank and had the person be started a trust based off of one american dollar oh my god because inflation was so out of control people and then when that billion mark came out People didn't even bother collecting the change when they paid for things. There were people who cashed out their insurance policies Mm -hmm. just to buy a loaf of bread. Mm -hmm. Like all the money that they had put in for their savings. So imagine cashing out your 401k just to buy a loaf of bread. That's how out of control um, that the inflation got. It... There was also in 1923, there was a little upstart fledgling political party called the Nazis that attempted a coup and actually failed in 1923. Oh, those guys? But this those, is scary. Yeah. And American writer Pearl Buck was in Germany in 1923. And this is what she wrote afterwards. The, st- the cities were still there. The houses not yet bombed and in ruins. But the victims were millions of people. They had lost their fortunes, their savings. They were dazed and inflation shocked and didn't understand how it had happened to them, who the foe was who had defeated them. Yet they had lost their self-assurance, their feeling that they themselves could be the masters of their own lives. If only they worked hard enough and lost too were the old values of morals ethics and decency oh my god see that's what i'm so afraid of and that like that sort of it's easy to be like oh this this isn't nazis and they come into power and stuff but it was the ground was tilled with people who they didn't understand like the economics and they just know like all of a sudden i had this money and now money is completely useless what 
Yeah. And then it's like you gotta you gotta blame somebody. So you know there are all the conspiracy theories out there talking all that stuff. And remember when we were doing Nosferatu, how like they definitely had their fingers pointing at who it was, and we all know who they pointed at and blamed because Nazis went out there and did the Holocaust. Yeah. And, and that's why these are the things that you need to know about this. I have yes. never heard of hyperinflation because it's easy to say never again. Yep. But if you don't know how <laughs> it happened, how are you going to say never again? You're just going to say, oh, we would never do such a thing. And then what What are you going to do? I mean, you know. Because our German landlords told us that, you know, when um, he, who shall not be named, first came to power, he was doing like he was building the um, autobahn, and he mm -hmm. was building the the Volkswagen. The Volkswagen was a car the people, that car for people the people. Afford. Mm -hmm. And and this is how you're, we're going to get um, goods and services back and forth. So it it looked like wow, you know, this guy's doing things for the people, and he was as long as the people were white anglo-saxon well yeah because then people po the politicians started saying look i'm gonna get your money back for you and i'm gonna make the people who did this pay and they mm -hmm. didn't know that the people who did this and they didn't know which right. does, does anybody else have any more cast because i can go into like setting up more of what happens now in 1932 because that no. inflation go for it no Okay, so in 1932, we have the Great Depression. So that was going around worldwide. And Germany specifically, because of what had happened at the end of World War One, their depression had already kind of happened. They, they were basically already in a depression. And then when the world got into a depression, it's not like they were able to rise above it. No, they're, that's when like all their inflation, all their stuff is going wild. So it seems like everyone's on the verge of financial calamity. At this point, as we mentioned in Freaks, in 1932, Hitler obtained his German citizenship by naturalization because, remember, he was really Austrian. Mm -hmm. I, I, I always like to point that out when you I You are more German than Hitler was. <laughs> Take that, Hitler. <laughs> um. I'm sure he's worming around in his grave in Brazil. I kid, I kid, I don't yeah. know. Is he dead? I don't know. Now he would be, definitely. Um, so that allowed him to run for office later. And like I already told you about what was going on in Germany. So they were just like, excuse me, say what? Say more, uh -huh. Adolf. Uh -huh. What are you saying? In 1932, Charles Lindbergh Jr. was kidnapped. Mm -hmm. That was labeled the crime of the century. It was. Which no. is a bit presumptuous considering it happened in 32. Yeah. Which got, century that happened in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think like JFK would be like, excuse me. <laughs> Pardon. My workplace incident was a big crime. So many crimes that happened. But, um, so, yeah, Charles Lindbergh, he was a big-time pilot uh, into, into uh, some Hitler-adjacent thinking and whatnot. Uh, but his young son, Charles Lindbergh Jr., was kidnapped, and the man was... So Bruno 
Richard Hauptmann, who was a German German man. The we don't talk about Bruno because he was arrested and executed for the kidnapping and murder of the child. Um, and that's a reason why it is a federal crime to transport a kidnapping victim over state lines because of the Lindbergh baby. Um, the Sydney Harbor Bridge opened in Australia. And this was interesting. In 1932, the World Disarmament Conference was held in Geneva. And so after, in the Treaty of Versailles, it was basically everybody was like, Germany, you are not allowed to have any weapons. Ever again. Ever, ever again. And then Germany wanted this conference because they're like, no, we need to be treated equal. We need to have, we need to be able to have weapons. Come on, let us have our weapons. We need to be treated equal. Equally? Yeah, we need to be treated equally. And uh, so they were really lobbying that on. And France was still like, I don't think this is a good idea. And uh, so we all know how. I don't know officially how this disarmament ends, but I know historically that somehow somebody was able to get some weapons back there. The top five films from 1932 were Prosperity. Number four was The Grand Hotel. Number three was Helldivers. And remember, Wallace Berry was in that film. And it, that was actually Clark Gable's first starring film. So, really? Yeah, this tells you how big of a star like Wallace Berry was. The number two film was Emma, which Gene Hirschholt was in that. So, you know, that kind of gives you, oh, these guys are big time stars. And the number one film of 1932 was The Kid from Spain. So Never heard of that. Never heard of that. The Oscars, the fifth Oscars, we had The Smiling Lieutenant, Shanghai Express, One Hour With You, Five Star Final, The Champ, Bad Girl, Aerosmith, and the winner of the Best Picture, and this is the only film to ever win Best Picture while not being nominated for anything Anything else. Anything else. Ever was Grand Hotel. This movie won Best Picture. Wow. Not nominated for anything else, but just come... I couldn't think of a couple of other things that could have won, but not Best Picture. Yeah, just came in. Cinematography. Set. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Huh. So those are my nerd alerts. Christine, do you have nerd alerts? No, I do not. Well, I did some um, investigating because I did enjoy what I termed the Art Deco in in the Grand Hotel. And then I read something about Art Nouveau, and I thought, am I using the right term? Mm -hmm. Amazingly, I was. So I I went uh, Art Deco versus Art Nouveau. Art Nouveau came first. It was like 1890s to 1910. So that's kind of if you're watching the Gilded Age, mm. that that time frame. That's Art Nouveau. It's like Art Nouveau. The new now, art. Right. At that time. Um, they often used the female form. It was sinuous, sensual, and linear. So there were lots of vines and lots of curves and it was 
influenced by the arts and crafts movement, symbolism, and Japanese art, and very the organic. Arts and crafts movement? Yeah. So lots of like- Hobby uh, Lobby would have had a field day. Exactly. And things that were found in nature. So you would see like painting on pottery would be vines and um, the women's form and um, curves and that kind of stuff. Is this when they brought in that that vine that's down south? The What is it? Kunzu? Kudzo? Kudzo. Yeah, because that came from Japan. Uh, that did not come up in my studies. I wonder if that's when, because of all the vines and stuff, if yeah. when they started getting that and then they didn't realize that it was an invasive species yeah, and it was just exactly. going to take over everything. Thanks, Thanks Art Nouveau. Now, in the 20s and 30s, it was Art Deco. Art Deco was geometric. Uh, it was stylish. It was pared down. Influences were from African art and like oh. Mayan temples. Uh, it was called the Hollywood style because that's what you see in the movies. So I have a picture I'll send to you guys of um, like a brooch, a pin that was Art Nouveau as opposed to Art Deco. So I picture Nouveau is, it's got the lines and stuff and Deco is right angles, lines, geometric. Yeah. Strong exactly. shape. Exactly. Exactly. So um, that's is the difference. Is the Chrysler building considered Art Deco? I think so. I think so too. Because of the geometric part of it. That's what it reminds me of. Yeah. Well, that's what I think, but that doesn't mean it's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's what we're going with. Okay, that is my nerd alert. So nice. now we are to reheatables. Mm -hmm. So negative first, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Close talkers. <laughs> I have that written I down too. He was way too close. A woman that I would not name, but oh my God. And her, like, there's no need to talk to anyone that close. Yeah. Not he even always leaned pandemic. in so much. Yeah. I wondered um, how much of that had to do with the miking, the early primitive miking situation to get their audio. Everybody like, else about, seemed to do it fine. And the, the bad breath. Teeny's close talker, the pandemic didn't put a put you know squash that why are you still talking so close we have to stay six oh i don't apart. know this part. this is long ago this oh is not, not now gotcha um, well that goes along with a low talker because if you're a low talker then people have to lean in um poppy is often accused of being a low talker mm. <laughs> well so, and also you're accused of your infamous for starting a sentence facing you and then finishing the sentence walking in the other direction. So, <laughs> so what else did you have, Christine? There was a clip of them skiing. Am I right? Somebody went skiing. Um, Flem had gone skiing and her Flem hands were skiing. sunburned. 
Yeah, yes. that's why. And I said, why wouldn't you wear gloves when you, that's why I wrote, why wouldn't you wear gloves to go skiing? Yeah. Maybe she couldn't afford well, them. Well, she didn't have them on her budget, I guess. She was yeah. making $18 a week. But and she's lucky they only got sunburned as opposed to frostbite. Mm-hmm. How would she know in 1932? No. I mean. True. She was like, this is cold. <laughs> um, oh, The amount of people in the film that said, I just want to dance. Count me out. There were Obviously no of... not Christine and me. <laughs> Sometimes you no. just have to dance. I'm sorry. No, no not Christine. I've never thought that. I have never thought, oh my God, no. I just have to get up and dance. There never. is no, no there is, that thought has literally <laughs> never crossed my mind. Not oh. even while I'm at home alone. Oh yeah. Never. Sometimes and I when this girl was dance. dancing her, her dance with Adam at her own wedding, and danced her dance with her father at her own wedding. She was shooting daggers at me because I didn't have to dance. Yeah, you little yeah. bitch. Um, <laughs> are the um, are you reducing? Yes. Yeah. And I didn't talk about the like the fact that he called her. A, oh, you're a little stenographer. Mm. Oh well, he was very, very yeah. Because this is the only fucking job I can get. Exactly. Those are my negatives. Bah. Aaron. Oh, mine. I have. Okay, it. I was born in Germany. I can't really speak German, but nor I have this thing where I cannot do a German accent, nor can I pick out a German accent. So I cannot tell you, and actually this extends definitely for German accents. In all accents, I'm never the one who's like, that's a bad accent. I, I just can't decipher what's a good accent and what's a bad accent. Um, but apparently Wallace Berry was the only one who was allowed to do a German accent. And some people I read said, commended him on his accent work, and other people said that it was ludicrous accent work. And I just hmm. think it's it's hilarious. I cannot. I, I. It's beyond me. I have no idea. I thought that, and Greta Garbo, she's not doing Russian. That's her Swedish accent. I had no idea. Really? I thought she was doing I German. She sounded very Russian. <laughs> and I, you, and yet here I am thinking she sounded German. Huh? Yeah. Um. Joan Crawford and Greta Garbo had zero scenes with each other. And Joan Crawford said that she was disappointed that she didn't have any scenes with her. But then I also read that she, that Joan Crawford knew that Garbo hated tardiness and that Greta Garbo hated Marlena Dietrich, which is funny because I get Greta Garbo and Marlena Dietrich confused. It was Marlena Dietrich who was going was going to plan to kill Hitler. <laughs> like oh. she was the one that was convinced. The only thing that saved. Uh, uh, saved Hitler, which that sucks to say out loud, was um, that she couldn't figure out how to smuggle in the weapon to kill him because she, she knew she knew she, she was. I know. I can figure it out. I was like, really? You can't find a little gun that could fit in your, you know, lady pouch? I mean, exactly. come on. You've got <laughs> it. Would already be lubricated. You wouldn't have to oil it. I don't know if it would for Hitler. <laughs> 
No, I'm just. I like to give I'm her a little credit. That she's gonna kill him would would uh, start some stuff, but okay. Because she was like, I'll. She's like, I'll seduce him. I know that she likes me or that he likes me, and I'll be able to walk through security naked. But she's just like, how will I be able to do? And apparently, I think she was with Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Which then goes into the whole Greta Garbo thing and why Greta Garbo had like, I hate tardiness and I hate Marlita Dietrich. So then Joan Crawford allegedly would show up late and between takes would play Marlita Dietrich records really loud. So, (laughs) but then I heard uh, that, that, that Joan Crawford was really like, she just wanted to impress Greta Garbo. Like, and so she she didn't ever go up to her because Greta Garbo was famous for wanting to, to be, be alone. And um, I thought Greta Garbo was German all this time. And and as I watched the movie and did all these notes, I kept thinking, you could have killed Hitler. I'm really mad at you. So I have to take that off my yes. negative list. It's misplaced. You have to put that on Marlena yes. Dietrich. Okay. But that um, Joan Crawford gave her her space. And one day toward the end of the film, um, Greta Garbo said to her, are you not going to speak to me? See, so who knows what is. Yeah. Because Joan Crawford is just in all these stories that I just believe anything. If you have ever seen her (laughs) light a match off of an OP album. She's capable of anything. I just think that she's capable of anything. That's right. Lucille Lasore, she, hey. Um, when, when we meet the Baron, <laughs> I was like, oh, that man's a future Nazi. I had no idea anything about him. And then I was like, uh, you know, I don't mean to, uh, spoiler alert, but... <laughs> What happens to my man? I was like, oh, I guess he does not become a Nazi. And I was like, oh, but pricing, that man totally gets out of jail and does some horrific things for the Third Reich. Just he's exactly the man that they were looking for. Um, How long did it used to take to buy clothes? Because my man Kringleine was like, "I, I don't have time to buy clothes. And I was like, well, he's talking about living out his last days. That implies multiple, maybe not, he's not going to live a week. I don't know what his situation is, but how long does it take to buy clothes in 1930? But apparently with well, this inflation. Order, like, you might have had to order them on the catalog. Yeah, and who knows with this German inflation where he could even. Right. You go to the tailor, they got to measure you, they got to cut the pa- Do you watch Project Runway? But they also sometimes cut- I have that same issue. I don't have. <sighs> I, I feel him on that. Maybe he didn't live somewhere near a mall. True. Not living in the proximity uh, of a mall or. Yeah, there's no Amazon and right, Target. Right downtown where you can just pop over or go and somewhere. He, yeah, and, and he wasn't looking for sweatpants because sweatpants are very easy to buy. Yeah. He wasn't <laughs> looking for yoga pants. Yeah. But he yeah. didn't have the World Wide Web. Yeah, this yeah. is true. And that's why I had the, the question because I was like, oh my gosh, well, it might have taken. Yeah. Okay. How about the Baron telling, like, this is one of the, it's a good reheatable because it's so bad. It's not a good reheatable because of, like, that's it, a good thing. It's a, oh my gosh, what? Because of what happens in the 
in the 40s when Baron tells his dachshund that yeah. is named Adolphus yeah. <laughs> that he must have self-control around any other dogs that aren't dachshunds. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. That was foreshadowing, was it okay. not? Okay, I, I high-fived myself. I was like, I knew he was going to be a Nazi. I Aww. knew it. And then um, the stenographer, she was a stenographer, and yet she had to take the men's coats and do all of these other things that were not strictly stenographering. Yeah. You know? Yeah. She was a woman. Yeah. She had to serve. Yeah. I was just like, man, that sucks. The closed captioning on the one that I saw that we rented from Apple, it left out lines of dialogue. Yeah, right? That is, if you... Oh, wait. I watched mine on Prime. But you still had the same thing. I think Maybe. so. Yeah, there was lines of dialogue that Crinkleline said that they never captioned. And I was like, oh, okay. That, if you're, if you can't hear and you're getting all of their dialogue and you see the lips moving but you're not getting the, come on we can do better so that was disappointing for especially for our hearing impaired friends yes the ableism just unbelievable um the oh, i said that the eyebrows that's on mine Ooh. the lack of eyebrows just and, everybody was just yeah. pencil thin. and then they couldn't get him back and, the, and, and now, then it, and then that came back in the nineties, like sure did. And now we have this overcorrection where people are just walking around with shrubbery on their face. <laughs> I agree. It does look like shrubbery. I'm like, oh my! <laughs> I I did this. Remember when I had but at my least bit? we're out of the thick black drawn on one. Yes, yes. Are we? Because I had a uh, whole that's, bit. That's on its way out. Now have, it's just. As your hair, but just like, you know, you're supposed styles. to floof it some. Okay. There's nothing to floof. <laughs> Man, because yeah. I had a. I, I had, use a, now I've transferred to a wax. I do a wax. Yes. So now we're waxing. Like I now I have to pomade my fucking eyebrows every morning. This is unbelievable. I stopped waxing. I mean, I didn't, well, I never really kind of did, but I stopped tweezing because I was like, these things need to fill in now. I need I need more fillage. What's going oh, no, on? Yeah. You need as many brows as you can get. We need our um, Farah. We need our Farah. Yeah. So, um, why does Flem? Why is the first, like, Flem sees, I already warned you guys, Flem goes and sees the body of Baron, the Baron. And where does she go first? She does not call the police. She does not go to hotel security. She goes to the dying ordinary man, Kringleine. That's the first person that she goes to. Why? She's She has not come up easily through the ranks. She she was probably able to buy that typewriter to be a stenographer with her last pennies that she rubbed together. And she bought that dress with her last pennies. And may I say, well done. Wise purchase. With the mm-hmm. with the uh the sheer on the on the sleeves and then mm-hmm. the the one-sided 
sheer collar thing mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. I liked that mm-hmm. dress. But but she's just found a dead body, and the so, and she knows who the murderer is, and she's so, going to the dying man. <laughs> because he's the only one who also cared about this person. I think. I'm saying though, I'm look. I am not. The police make me nervous. But yes. if I see a dead man, I'm calling the cops. Yeah, but she probably figured that they would somehow insert her into that narrative. I but I need protection because I know what happened, and that man murdered that man. What makes you think that that man's not going to murder me too? That's that's all true. That's that was just what I was thinking. Um, the name Flem. I don't. <laughs> Although it's spelled F L E something like that instead of. It doesn't of, matter you know, how it's spelled. Yeah, of- it's spelled Flem. <laughs> and her whole—I mean, she was just getting me tooed by pricing. Everybody just completely. But she was having fun with her answers back. This almost was my MVP. And it may, I may revert it back, but I'll say it here. I noticed it in one shot. I don't know if it was in anything else. It was the most German thing I've ever seen in my life. I've decided. Square doorknobs. Agree. Oh, Agreed. yeah. It's, is there not such a German thing? Every time, it's just got to be difficult. I, lo- <laughs> I had an apartment once that had all the crystal doorknobs. Those are great. That's what mine has. I, 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 you have well, I replaced doorknobs, right? my doorknobs with crystal ones. Yes, but who? What doorknobs? Who has square doorknobs? I've never had a square doorknob. Does it no. fit in your hand? It's gonna hurt you. That's that's why the French were like, no, do not give these people weapons. They have square doorknobs. However, it's efficient. It is, is efficient. It? How? Yeah. Your hand doesn't continue to go around. When have you ever had such slippery hands that you're like, oh, I really can't get this doorknob open. Those greasy German hands. You two sweaters have never had a problem with a round doorknob? I I will tell you, I would take I don't have any. We don't have any. I'm just looking around. We don't have a single doorknob in this apartment. I'll take that, uh, that inconvenience over the pain of the corners in my hand understood but when we were in germany there weren't round doorknobs in case in case in fact people used to talk about going back to the states as going back to the land of the round doorknob because had they square? had the they had the oh that's what i have uh, on some of my doors that handle yeah, that's what we have the, a handle a, yeah a horizontal handle or a pocket yeah. door yeah. yeah, but the when you put your hand on on a round doorknob and when you put your hand on a horizontal, there is no Art Deco perpendicular corner that is going into your hand. Just saying. but it was an interesting look, was it not? That yeah, that's what. Hey, mm-hmm. I mean, hot I'm not take. saying everything German ha- is done with precision because their toilets totally sucked. The the flushing with the shelf where you could check out everything that has just come out of you. And then you have to push the flusher to push that down off the shelf. That was not um, the Germans best. Uh, not very efficient. You know, yeah, they have not a hit, a, it was they, not efficient. That was not okay. Track record. You know? um, if I hadn't seen the Nachka first, I would think that Greta Garbo was so extra and 
but then her ballerina is extra. So because I had seen Nanachka and her performance in that, it made me appreciate what she was doing in this. Because I that's why I had to ask Teeny. I was like, "What do you think of Garbo?" Because she is, wow, going for it in this role. I loved it. Wait, are you still on your negatives? Yeah, you your positive. No, so- but it was my just because she. It kind of comes back later because I have a quotable from her, but she was just, I think it was just her extraness of being the prima ballerina and just being that artist who is so just damaged that it, it was she a was what made me. Oh, she was what made me turn back to the screen. Yeah. When I was down and out, she was the one where I was like, oh. She's just really... Really trembling, really. She I just like that. I felt lot. it was kind of. It was like a little campy to me. Yeah, but she was very campy, like. and and her flowy clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, that were the, positives for me. So go well, ahead with your negative. Yeah, me too. You can stay alone in your negative category. I am because because that kind of personality. It I don't like that yeah, it because makes, it's very narcissistic. It is, and yes. it, it, oh, it like. Yeah just makes me uncomfortable i'm like oh man garbo i really like you but i really do not like this character you revert to this very uncomfortable situation i just feel very instantly uncomfortable like i don't like being around these kind of narcissists i'm choosing to be around this person yeah um and my final negative reheatable is how both women fell in love with the Baron just in a matter of hours. I'm like, yes. did you did you fall in love with him, his profile, or is it his profile and his name? Yeah, because we went through that last week. With I mean, how long does it take to know? Okay, I've fallen in lust or I have fallen in love. Those are two different things. But as Teeny had pointed out, these are women both in you know different places in their lives, but yet they still are women in the world, women in the patriarchy. So he in 1932, is, you, yeah, you have to be attached to a man. Exactly. So those were my negatives. Okay. Um, you have all of mine except for cigarette smoke. Oh, yeah. Man, oh. there was a lot of cigarette smoke. That's how I, I knew the- I'd gotten on the right train today on my way home. <sighs> yeah. Whoa. Uh, I also have the lack of eyebrows and the close talker, but now we're to positive reheatables. Okay. I mean, I've already... go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've already said my praise for the opening scene. Yes. Okay. But let me not. Okay. I also put when I had a problem with the opening credits before, was it because they put, I remember what it was. I like that they had their pictures, but they didn't have their character, did they? I I don't remember. I don't either. I let maybe they did. I liked it in this one. I don't know. Maybe because nothing like suspicious was gonna happen. I just felt oh, like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. So, um. I don't like aside from what you said, I did I did like Adolphus the dog though. Like he was yes. a good dog. I did too, but the mm-hmm. fact that his name was Adolphus. Yeah. Ooh, tough. Um 
The dancer lady. Oh, what was her name? Grinkskaya. Grinkskaya. Uh huh. I loved her outfits, her robe and her fur coat. I know that mm-hmm. flowy flowiness she had going on with that skeletal body underneath. Mm-hmm. I loved it. And then just the hotel and the set and the visual. And it looked like they didn't wear bras back then. It looked like they just wore like a a shift. Probably not. Yeah, I think they just, that was when you were just. I don't think that they needed support. I don't think their their girls needed a home. They didn't. You know. Yeah. They didn't. But um, I wonder if that was in their budget for for their, (laughs) maybe they Maybe they didn't have the budget for a bra. I I know that um, my sister has gone without that support for a while, and it's it's not a good look. She's not a ballerina physique either. Three brassieres. Three brassieres at an average price of 35 cents. Wow. Let's talk about inflation. I mean, what if, it comes, what if it comes out to be $60? I'm like, isn't that the Albert's <laughs> price? And well worth it. Do I, do well I need to it. do a full reveal right now? Marina Wool. Hey, I'm wearing mine too. All of us. This is what we do. I have to order another one. I need three so that I can wash you. Have, have well, one. I only have one. I no, have, I have you have to have two. the three. You have to have three, Christine. I have the three. You, you gotta mean? have the three. Because I wear two. I wear two for the week. For the week, and then and then I wash one. it, and then mm-hmm. while it's drying, I got a whole a whole laundry thing worked out. Yeah, I'm going online when we when we finish this. So, oh, <laughs> I tried to Google thirty five cents in 1936 versus today. But it's it was like seven hundred and two dollars for those thirty five dollars. So. Oh okay. Yeah, oh well, you can move really the decimal place then. That. So it would be like seventy dollars. Well, so I guess it's that's yeah comparable. So yeah, that's all mine. It, yes. <laughs> Ma, I also had a dolphus. Uh, I'm not a huge dachshund fan, although. You know, either from the motherland, but um, not a not a huge. But he was a dog, and he was cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cinematography, I love that shot that was like the um, all the president's men shot yes. in the Library of Congress, where you look down and where Babs is now. That there's a round. It's all round, and you could do that shot down into the lobby. Oh. Yeah, uh-huh. very nice. And also the shot where it was early on and it was Greta Garbo and her eyelashes, the, the shadow of her eyelashes mm. was amazing. Mm. Okay, so cinematography, uh, my art deco. And then the other one is my uh, MVP. So I'm going to save that one. Okay. I too like the operators. Um, mm-hmm. the telephone was invented in 1876 and by the 30s, the technology had evolved enough that they could allow direct dialing. And so by the 1940s, there were fewer than 200,000 telephone operators 
And in 2021, there are just 5,000 operators with another six, another about 70,000 what's called switchboard operators. And it's said that 20% of those jobs will disappear by 2029. Because I was thinking of all the young upwardly mobile women mm-hmm. that would be their job outside the home to 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 connect you with you mm-hmm. um and then those jobs just disappear because of technology but then i think those jobs then they were able to go into like the rosie the riveter because then yeah. the war breaks out so right they were able to do that i think and then in the 50s they went back and and were homemakers and had to take a lot of volume to deal with that. <laughs> yes. Oh. Um, I young Joan Crawford. Agreed. I mean, I didn't realize how huge her eyes were. I didn't either. Uh, and I was glad that she figured out her makeup because this was before she really figured out her makeup and she looked great, but I just think that she looked better once she kind of, Specifically, figured out the whole eyebrow situation. I just, yeah, because that was the the look at the time. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. There was just something like that was different about her look than later. It was so ingenuish. So yes, yeah. But she was just really great in her. You like you could see how like oh yeah that this kid's got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. When. Kring, Kringleine, he, there was a comment made about somebody was like, oh, I just want a short gay life. And he was like, oh, I literally do have a short gay life. And I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Is what he is gay? Here? Like, are we saying he's happy or are we saying that he's gay? This is a pre-code film. I'm confused. And I never really, even though he ends up with phlegm, I kind of always did feel like he was gay. Well, I never felt like they were going to be a romantic couple. No. He was going to take care of her. Yes. Because she loved John. Well, John Barrymore. I don't remember what his name was. Baron. As much as he loved the Baron because the Baron accepted him for who he was. So I feel like. Maybe he loved the Baron's great profile. Exactly. He, He was in love with the Baron. She was in love with the Baron. So we can have this life. Uh, and I mean, you know, if she can find that, well done. Um, the overhead shot where the Baron is on the ledge, he's he's about to like he's doing some stealing. Yes, he's scaling the walls. Didn't it look and that I saw that and I was like, that looks like such what a Wes Anderson shot to me. And then I was like, wait a second, Wes Anderson did the Grand Budapest Hotel. Budapest Hotel. And I was like, oh, it's kind of a comic, more comic stylings okay because i was wondering and my originally i was like recasting none but wes anderson should remake this and then i was like do i just have this in my head because i know he made the grand budapest hotel and so the name recognition but also it reminded me of wes anderson also mm-hmm. yeah we might need to look at the at the grand budapest hotel after just watching this Hmm. um Huh. That's interesting. I like like what a turn that it took. Just it's moving along real quickly. And then it just takes a turn. I was just like, just murder, just 
they just they just killed the man and then they didn't you don't you never see the body never he, see the body john barrymore dies and there's there isn't the eye flickering the ugh. it's just and how it's such a good reheatable because it seems so much more realistic and modern that you don't see it so there isn't the hollywood exactly. version it's just like oh my ass that guy there might be like chunks of brain just on you know it's it's like that Hitchcock thing where your brain mm-hmm. fills it in. It's way more exactly. gruesome, probably. Exactly. Young filmmakers, take a note. Sometimes less is what more. What we imagine in our brain is more than you can put on film. Oftentimes it is. Mm. Um, I really like the lack of music cues. Mm. I thought that I thought that as well in the film Freaks, how there is music in it, but. Mm-hmm. And then I was reading in the precode.com uh, review how when the code came in because they couldn't, they music cues would then come in to cue you, the audience, into what to feel. And that's why there were so much, many more music cues. And I appreciate the lack of it because it would let the actors mm-hmm. act and mm-hmm. make you, and put you in there instead of having to rely on the sweeping music and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just throughout, seems like just movies. Like Gone with the Wind just comes to mind. of just like, you know, constantly. Um, and so then, then ultimately, like, just the good reheatable is how it's just pre-code. I mean, they make no, bo- you know, like sex exists in this world. And Clem is going to do yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. And murder exists. And yeah, just all of that stuff. So... It was good. So uh, we are to quotables. Yes. Um, all the best people stay here. All the best people. Mm. Were they? Well, they, they're all the best people. <laughs> when the POC count, the bartender, I don't believe, stay in there. So what does that tell you? That just tells you. All of the best. And there was something I want to bring up here. I heard something about how we learn about ancient civilizations from their art. And that really resonated with me because the, so it was, I don't know, like maybe NPR or something. But people learn about ancient civilizations based on the art depictions and then put that into the movies and how we watch these old movies. And that's what people are going to get off of our um, you know, take away and learn mm-hmm. about our history. Yeah. And that's why, like, pointing out the POC count and cast is so important because if you're yeah. basing it off of that, look at how, like, you know, it's white supremacy. Like, you oh, can't yeah. argue against it. Well, it starts with the, the, defo- the facially deformed doctor saying... Grand hotel, people coming, people going, nothing ever happens. And it ends with him saying the same quote. And a lot happens, but it only affects those few people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It doesn't affect everybody else in the Grand Hotel. But there was also a thing that the Grand Hotel was a metaphor for life, how we're here. We go about it, and then somebody else is going to come and and stay in our rooms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Somebody else will take our place. Um, 
the Russian ballerina's uh, agent says, after this, no more ballet for me, jazz. Only jazz. <laughs> Just jazz. <laughs> jazz was coming in. And the, and then the guy who goes, a man who is not with a woman is a dead man. That was the same guy, the doctor. Oh, the doctor. That's about the only... I thought he was going to cure Lionel Barrymore. Oh. I thought he was going to have a bigger role than he had. Mm-mm. Other quotes. Um, I don't know who said this, but you plague and bother and slave and all of a sudden you're dead. That sounds yeah, like a well, Kringle line line to me. Probably. It sounds like somebody who turned 70 to me. <laughs> I did like when he told Adolphus, you're the one thing in the world I really do love. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I just did have a quote for my, it's going in my quotables. Oh. Don't you like dancing? No, not with strangers. Never, never. <laughs> No, not with anybody. Never. Not with anybody, ever. truly. <laughs> I like dancing, but I like dancing to my own beat. So. Of course you do. <laughs> I have, I don't know who said this, but this made me laugh because the way that it was said was supposed to, that the guy was supposed to be like a rube, I think. But I, I was like, no, I, I genuinely, it's the Grand Hotel. I genuinely would be interested. He goes, I wonder if you would like to see my bathroom. Oh, yeah, I would. I would yeah, I would. What, what's the I'm telling you, my bathroom in the Williamsburg Hotel was worth seeing. It was, it was nice. Yeah. 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 The famous, I want to be alone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I want to be alone. So that people always attribute that because in real life, Garbo was like, she didn't like to be out. She didn't like to go to parties. She was a recluse. She's one of us. Yeah. And, you know, she I mean, she knew, hey, I got this face. I got these looks and then it's going to go away. I don't want to be out there. And her rival Marlita Dietrich was the same way later in her life was like, no, I can't compete anymore. Father time is one again. Um, Somebody said, drink the champagne. Oh, Kringle line. Drink the champagne. It's expensive and good. And he kept trying to push the caviar, which I would have taken. But she's going, it tastes like herring, which I which, can eat yeah. some. I, I thought that was funny. Oh, when pricing says, he robbed me, he struck me, he's dead. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, yeah, pretty much nailed that. Um, and then he also says this line to Flem. I suppose you take some dictation from me sometime, would you? And yeah. Dick. Yeah. And then this made me laugh because of her line delivery. Oh, the, the Garbo. When she's calling on the phone, because nobody will tell Garbo that the Baron's been killed. And she's calling on the phone because she's in love. And she, she she's talking to the phone going, ring. Yes. Yes. <laughs> ring. Ring. <laughs> oh, I cracked up. And that's feet. me going, Ring. Don't pick up, please. Let me leave a message. <laughs> so those are my quotables. Okay, we are to L- LVP. 
My LVP is piggybacking on a, a, a least valuable player from before. John Barrymore smoked so much that not only was the cigarette smoke a lot, but when he talked, the cigarette smoke was still coming out of his mouth and he was a close oh, talker. Gross. So and that he, he kept his cigarette low, like he would always wear, um, like, did it just seemed like he was probably a walking fire thing, you know, it, just it, setting everyone it, on fire. Something was burning inside him because his lines were delivered as cigarette smoke was coming out of his mouth and nose. That was so disgusting. Yeah, that was my own. That's it. Mine, I have a, mine is the plot and how the story went nowhere for me. Yeah, it really, I, was like, there a plot? I don't know. Just a bunch like, of people. Yeah. yeah, like I get it. I don't know. It just lost me for a minute there. A minute? I wanted okay. to love it. Thought I was going to love it in the beginning. I, was, dis I was disappointed. Yeah, it was yeah, I thought that it was. Uh, I I just didn't get how it was so long and like yeah, I, I kind of fell asleep around the, when I had forty minutes of the movie left where I had to rewind it. It was around yeah. the time when Kringlinger, um, got everybody in his room to um. That's when I fell asleep sitting straight up. <laughs> was when he was in his room getting people to eat the caviar and playing the game. Yeah. Gambling, whereas yeah. I like I nodded out. I'm just like, if we okay. cut 30 minutes of this film, which just a few cuts here and yeah. there, it, it, I could have stayed with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, my LVP is pricing because he's a murderer, a liar, a creep. Nothing is ever his fault, and yet he would say that he's had to work his way up from his because yeah, he never tough. had anything and you know that he would never he would never acknowledge the privilege that he is that that no. man has had in his life and he had a crew cut and he had a german accent so you know well he out. was just horrible like he was a business guy and if he was like oh i'm super honest but then he tried to make this business deal by just completely saying a flat out lie mm -hmm. he was a a married man and mm -hmm. he was very close talking, being very, very inappropriate in a way that to this day he would fit in yeah. nicely, mm -hmm. you know, like he wouldn't to him. He would be like, I didn't do anything wrong because he didn't forcibly rape someone. Exactly. It, but yeah, and it was all consensual. My my talking to her, she talked back. It was right. all consensual. And when he kills the Baron, I don't think that the. I don't think the Baron struck him, but he does. He hits like even if I look, go back, and the Baron made the first move, you know, like a pop. What's his face? Pricing, he, you know, hits him, so that would be self defense. But he, like, I mean, he does it enough to kill exactly. him. So he exactly like he, he's just head just, taller. 50 yeah. pounds heavier. And when he called, when Kringleine is drunk and gets in his face, because Kringleine worked for him and was like, I was sick for four weeks and you were going to discharge me. And and then he's like, I probably should. I'm like, I don't even know who you are. And I didn't send the thing saying you had to come back, you know, basically being 
what we don't have now, because we don't have a person who is pricing now. I mean, we, we do, but really it's the, the, what is it? The board, you know, the, the, like these companies all have the, the board that they have to, to be, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like this, like what, like there's Jeff Bezos, but he's not, that is an indicative of most fortune 500 companies and most people work for. There isn't like this one person who is the man and is, even though they will be like the CEO, they're on the hook representing the, you know, the people on the board who are making, they're the ones making all the money. So it's, it was just at least nice in the movie that to have like a bad guy to look at and be like, oh yeah, literally that is the man. And then he's going to be like, and his accountant who knows all where all the bodies are buried because he's seen all the numbers and he saw it's like, oh, you must be an embezzler. And it was just, he was just a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And you know that he got off of the murder somehow. Mm-hmm. So that's why he was my MVP. Okay. I mean, LVP, sorry. Right. Because we are now to MVP. And I have a runner up. Mm. Young Joan Crawford. I loved Young Joan Crawford. But my actual MVP is Happy Greta Garbo. How often do we see a Happy Greta Garbo? But was she happy? I thought she when was she was take- when she was like literally like dancing on air because she was in love with John. Oh, that part, yeah, yeah, that part. But well, well, was she a manic? <laughs> like she, I don't know. That woman struck me as uh, manic depressive. So I was like, oh, she met this guy, and that she was going to take herself out the game, and then she met this guy. And then found out he was trying to rob her, but then felt said that he fell in love with her, and now she's all super happy. I was like, wow, this, this woman has uh, mood swings. Yeah, and she's going to swing again when she realizes he's dead. Yeah, which and nobody's going to tell her. But yeah, I mean, she... Yes, It was true. fun to see her happy. Yeah. For a few seconds on film. My runner-up is Kringleheim. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I loved him, and the scene where he's drunk was so good to me. Where he tried to every order everyone um, Louisiana Louisiana flip tree, yeah. Because there there's some people who on on film are acting drunk, and you can tell they're acting. But this dude seemed like he was really yeah. there, and he's I love him more. He just wanted to buy everyone a drink with it. Like he was like, I want to get I want to get drunk with Kringleheim. Dude, yes. I looked yes. up a Louisiana flip. Yeah, me too. I almost I thought about making one, but the raw egg wears me out. Yeah, me too. Oh, there's a raw egg in so it. It's, um he asked for something sweet and cold. It sounds delicious. It's two ounces spiced rum, one ounce Cointreau. It's like literally things you have. Mm-hmm. What two ounces orange juice, one ounce roses grenadine. One whole raw egg. Mm. Okay. You're going to shake that all up until it's foamy. Pour it into a shaker full of ice. Shake for 30 seconds. So that's going to break up the egg yolk so that it's all like just a a liquid. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Foam. And like I've had drinks with egg in it. Mm -hmm. I just guess I never thought about when I order it the way they put it, you know, it's always like a fancy restaurant or cocktail place. 
So they don't say raw egg. Exactly. These days. They make it yeah. seem nice. And or they they probably will have like an asterisk next to it. And then when you read at the bottom, it's like uh, contains too many raw things. Yeah. Right. Which made me and wonder then, if maybe his love of the Louisiana flip was like he wasn't dying. He just had salmonella. I always thought he wasn't dying. He just had uh, he was an alcoholic. That's what I thought. But he's strained into a martini glass and an orange slice for a garnish. Hmm? I kind of I'm gonna have to make one. And the rum thing with me, but. Okay, I love rum. I have everything except for the grenadine because I was, I too was thinking about it, but then the, the raw egg. I know, I don't I was... have the grenadine either. I don't think the raw egg. I know. My daddy always had grenadine in the refrigerator. Always. What did he make with it? Oh, whiskey sours. Oh, because and... mm-hmm. I know grenadine from Shirley Temples. He was famous for his whiskey sours. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. But my overall MVP was the film quality or like, I don't know if that's like, well, I don't know. Well, you talking in the beginning about being a lot of these actors being from silent pictures, but then I was looking back and this was 1932, right? Mm-hmm. Huh? And Freaks was also 1932. Yes. And when we were watching Freaks, I was like, oh, this was totally filmed in 1932. Yes. Like this is an old and this, I was like, this could have been like the 50s. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, there weren't the like, 40, the, uh, like the white spots and the. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, there's probably a reason for that. Well, I think because one, it won the best Money. picture. Yeah. So, yeah, and money. this was a, this was a, all these stars were in it. So they threw money at this production. Mm, it wasn't yeah. like freaks where they were like, no, we're not going to let anybody start. Like you can yeah. make this yeah. just the, the budget. And then also from that time till now, since it won the Academy award and all these stars were in it, it's been preserved and it's been refurbished True. and really cared yep. for. Yeah. Freaks that was just surprising like, to me. Like I, I was like, oh, this is the same year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Freaks would be like you filmed it on your iPhone, and Grand Hotel would be like you did the, you know, the big masters and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you just had more money to put into the lighting and the cinematography, and then on the back end, and then also because Freaks was banned and stuff, so yeah. Then- it was all of that. It's like Grand Hotel, they since it won an Academy Award and it was Yeah, exactly. It's an MGM yeah. thing. They're like they're going to make sure that nothing happens to this film and the, and people archivists are gonna go in and they're right. gonna right. digitize it and make sure that it looks good. I did like the art deco of everything. I did like that. Mm-hmm. So okay. my uh MVP I went with, I didn't really know an MVP. I went with Dr. Otterne Slong. He was played by Lewis Stone. He was the doctor that had served in World War I. Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, he had served in World War I and he was a doctor and he was in the shit and. A grenade. He was a little too close to a grenade and half of his face and, um, he has the line, but I just like the way that he delivers it. Apparently, in the book, he was a heroin addict. 
And oh, that so, doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I because mean, he was the, like he lived at the hotel and he had lived through the war and seen the horrors of man. And, that's and he why, still had pain from that from the grenade attack issue. So he was. Oh yeah, yeah. And it was um, it was it wasn't uncommon. It was fairly common after the war to to see dismembered um people in mm-hmm. Germany, you know, mm-hmm. soldiers and stuff who had, you know, missing limbs, missing their faces. Hitler learned to, you know, trim his mustache to be able to fit in the um gas mask so he didn't get the mustard gas. So there's that. Yeah. And there's just I mean the Maybe that was part of it, like the Geneva Convention. Maybe that was like after World War One, where they were like, all right, if you're going to go to war, these are the things that you're allowed to do, and these are the things that you're not allowed to do. Yeah. Which is hilarious because it isn't all fair in love and war, but I think, who knows? All right. Three casting? I did not do one. I really... Yeah, I had a hard time with it, so I let it go. Well, I did do one. I, I have... thought you might. I, I just couldn't. I Okay, go ahead. Yeah, it was tough. I didn't. I could easily see this movie being redone with any sort of cast in kind of any location, like, you know, exotic location. But time frame, like I, I think you, you would put it. I think it would be like an older film, but you would put it in a time before, like the calm, when everything was like in a nice period, like not a nice period, but just in a calm before the storm kind of period. And what was that? No, but you would have to, you would have to find. Like I could see having uh, the Grand Hotel in Dubai. You know? Oh, okay. Like okay. something like that, or okay. like doing a grand hotel in, in uh Lag- Lagos, like in Nigeria or something. You know? Okay. Like these major cities that have to us this exoticness to it, where people Buenos would be. Yeah, exactly. Where you would have people coming in and out. I think it would need to be before cell phones. So kind of uh-huh. maybe in the the sixties or something, uh-huh. but I do like that idea of a place where we take it out of of Western Europe and put it into some place where we we're not really seeing that. But I didn't come up with a cast specifically for that. But I mm-hmm. do think that there would be an opportunity and different stories to be told. Okay, that, would, that could be interesting. Seeing as pricing, I have Christoph Waltz. How could you not? For Kringleine, I have William H. Macy. Oh, my God. Mm. <laughs> For Flem, because she reminded me a lot of the, of young Joan Crawford, I have Kristen Stewart. Oh, she could be very pouty. Mm-hmm. For the Baron, I went with Ryan Gosling. Uh-huh. And then for the Dancer... <laughs> This one made me laugh because I'm like, let's just see what she does with it. Lady Gaga. Oh. She'd be I good. Thought, I thought she would be I think good. She'd be good. Yeah, and then, I think it's great. 
I came across when I was doing research for Tasty Titties that they have a couple of original cast considerations. So for Flem, they had Norma Shear, which makes sense. Oh, yes. You know. Um, for Kringaline, Buster Keaton. I saw that somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then for pricing, Clark Gable. He was actually considered or his name came up somewhere with this. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. Like this these were reported original cast considerations. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So those are my recasting. I didn't do any. I'm assuming Tini didn't do any. Mm -mm. I just couldn't like I wanted to do a, a um uh diverse cast, but in 1932, you can't do a diverse I, cast. So uh, then it would be changing. And I, tasty titties. <laughs> <laughs> My only tasty titty was the Louisiana flip. And we already talked about that. I love it. Mm -hmm. uh, Greta Garbo was concerned about playing a youthful ballerina because of her age. She didn't give off youthful vibes to me at all. Yeah, and so <laughs> on the credits, she's billed as just Garbo. When in this time frame, if you were billed by just your last name, that meant that you were uh, reserved for the most... Yeah, you were hot shit. ...esteemed actors, if you yeah. just went with your last name. And she was billed as Garbo, so she went with it. Remember Karloff, remember Boris Karloff, how mm -hmm. he was... Karloff. Joan Crawford was worried about censure because she was provocative and several censor boards cut out the majority of her scenes when showing the movie in their areas because she was so provocative. Oh, I know. Well, she had a lot of her character had a lot more scenes with her grappling about, you know, what exactly she was going to be doing with pricing, like what exactly, exactly. her role was. Exactly. But then there was also the thing with Irving Thalberg because he had Greta Garbo and Joan Crawford, and they they were purposely kept from having scenes together because they didn't want. Well, it's the you know the patriarchy. You can't have two women because of course they don't know how to act with each other. So who knows what I said about uh, Joan that Crawford? That fight would have ensued. Yeah, if that's even true or not. And then also there was the thing where, because they're the two egos, they had to make sure in the final cut that neither outshone the other one. Exactly. Oh, and so exactly. there's so yeah, it's just just pitting two women against each other. And really. I feel like that was all. Uh, male generated. Yeah. Because from what I read, Joan Crawford was just thrilled to be in the presence of Greta Garbo and was very deferring to her. And if Greta Garbo chose to, to speak to her, she would speak, but she wasn't going to infringe on her yeah. So, and, who, and who knows though because but also like at the same time this is a very competitive industry and you don't get yeah. to be where you are you know like i i could i could see 
that being that Joan Crawford did that, but I could also see like, no, that was just completely made up to pit two women against each other mm-hmm. and to have it be like a story or whatever. Well, I did read that Wallace Berry stormed off the set and said mm. he wouldn't come back until Joan Crawford learned how to act. Ooh. Yeah. I heard that like people didn't uh weren't lining up to say Wallace Berry was the best person to work with. He's got a crew cut and a German accent. And just he He's had a not a likable dude. But he had a reputation in Hollywood of just being a dick. You know, I read in Wikipedia, and so I don't know if it's true, but um, the area up north between the Grand Tetons, so I think like Jackson Hole, like maybe that area, and I apologize if I'm getting it wrong, but FDR wanted to make that, you know, preserve it, make it a national, uh, what is it, you know what I'm talking is about, a national Montana? park. Yeah, like kind of okay. like that. And yeah. so the local ranchers were really pissed off about that because that was uh, grazing land. And so um, Wallace Berry was one of the guys that took a whole bunch of their cattle and like drove it through that area to be like, a, you know, F you oh. to. Yeah, he just doesn't come across, according to Wicca, his Wikipedia page, as a great guy. Yeah. Like he's very I mean, dickish. 1932, a German accent is just not going to do it for me. Yeah, but this is, bef- but remember when we were talking about freaks, how there was German characters and like after the war, we are, we are not going to Grand Hotel in Berlin, you know, like they yeah. just, we like Germans are completely othered. And I feel like if you were German that you were, uh, no, I'm American, you know, like you're, like that was the point where maybe Germans stopped being spoken a lot in the home, <laughs> but yeah, you know probably. that it was the assimilation of like, no, I'm American. Yeah, I had great great aunts who came over and never spoke German again. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and then I had the tickets for this movie were a dollar fifty in 1932. Wow. That and seems like in- a lot. 2020 that would be like a 28 dollar ticket to see this yeah movie. if you're only making 18 dollars a week wow. exactly exactly it's just crazy how the more things change the more they just stay the same yeah right did you read that for the premiere screening wallace Berry? yes dressed up in drag because so they were having the screening remember i said garbo she didn't do none of that like nah i don't do that i don't go out i want to be alone so people were saying like oh no she's gonna garbo's gonna show up she'll she'll show up she'll show up garbo's like i ain't showing up and so they had their premiere and they're like oh no she'll she'll be there at the end she'll she'll just make an appearance and it wasn't it was wallace berry dressed in drag as garbo and apparently in 1932 didn't go over well. <laughs> People were just like, nah, this no, not a good look, dude. Nah, this sucks. Yeah. Those were my tasty titties. So I had that this was the studio's first all-star production, kind of like when they did Ocean's Eleven with Clooney and Damon and Roberts. Um and Pitt. And Pitt. 
And Edmund Golding, the director, he directed three films that were nominated for Best Picture. So Grand Hotel, which won. He also directed Dark Victory and The Razor's Edge. But he never received a Best Director nomination. Which is pretty wild. They go, oh, those those three Best Picture nominate, <laughs> nominated movies just directed themselves? Right. Um... I think, and I think he's the only man so far to ever have that happen. I should say person, because Lord knows they don't really nominate women directors. So, <laughs> this is, we already mentioned that. It was remade in 1945 film called Weekend at the Waldorf that starred Ginger Rogers, Lana Turner, Walter Pigeon, and Van Johnson. Oh, wow. Okay. Direction is by Cedric Gibbons was not nominated for an Academy Award because no one else was nominated in this, but this was considered super influential, especially the lobby that had a 360 degree desk, and that this movie changed the way that sets were constructed going forward. Oh, oh cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I see why. Yeah, because he figured out how to do it because you never I probably up until then it would be the sets were made the cameras facing this way Mm -hmm. and then probably after that they made it where now you know you roll in walls so when you flip the cameras around then you have that side to give the illusion of that you're really inside the hotel in the 360 degree angle and there were tracking shots in there that were great a lot of innovation the, the floor the checkerboard floor was skewed so that so that it could be rounded mm. yeah 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 so wow and then there was an aborted 1970s remake so oh ouch this is not gonna be good i don't know william goldman now he was a fantastic screenwriter he wrote a lot of great books about adventures in the screenwriting trade he wrote the screenplay for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Well done. I th- mm-hmm. think he wrote other a lot of other things. I'm not going to go on a limb. You can Google him. But this is a guy who knows what he's talking about. And he was going to... Norman Jewison was the director. He's also directed like big time movies. I'm sure we've either done some or will do some. Big time in the 70s especially. Um they were going to make a film about it, and Norman Jewison, he had final cut in his contract. So any movie that you came with him, he was like, I get to see. I get to call the last shots. So, But MGM didn't want to give him final cut because the MGM Grand Hotel had just opened in Las Vegas. And this is the original MGM Grand. And yes, the reason it's named MGM Grand Hotel is because of this film. Oh my Grand god! Hotel. Yeah, they suck. It makes me want to stay there, but no, I won't. So, but this is the this OG one is Bally's now. So, like you know, okay, well, yeah, Bally's just Bally's, got yeah. Bally's isn't going to be Bally's anymore. Okay, but I guess that's like the site of it. I don't know because you know Vegas like flips like crazy. So at at any rate, this was in the 70s when it had just opened and um, MGM was really nervous because Vegas, it was like, well, this is and this is like, I guess the 70s. It's like, are you going to show all the undersidedness of Vegas? Because we don't really want that associated 
with our name and the MGM grant. So that's why they were really nervous and didn't want to give Norman Jewison final cut. So it ended up that, and also no one had filmed inside of the MGM grant at that time. So they were like, you know, they, they were just like had bees up their bonnet about how their company was going to be portrayed and whatnot. And uh, William Goldman wrote a super detail-oriented screenplay with more details than he would usually put in to show MGM execs their intention. Like, you can trust us. We're not going to, you know, sully the MGM name or whatever. But that didn't buy that. Like, they were still, no, no. So they were super protective. But then four years later... Uh, some films come out where they had been filmed inside the MGM Grand, and one of them, you know, depicted sex work and and that, those mm-hmm. going ons. And so, you know, then William Goldman was he got in his feelings and was just like, oh, it's it's lost its m- mystique. I don't want to do it anymore. Which I'm kind of like, fuck you, MGM, for your whole thing. But then also William Goldman, like, why'd you get like, oh, it lost its m- mystique like come on he just got mad oh ego yeah exact total ego those are my tasty titties Tiny wow tasty titties no mine was just my cocktail well done so Louisiana flip there that's it I kind of wanted a little more from this film. I did too. And I think, I think maybe we would get now from what I'm looking at, it seems like Wes Anderson did have this influence for Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm -hmm. So maybe that gives us what we want. Maybe it did. I think because I really like that movie and I find it to be an enjoyable, fun movie. Yeah, this was just a thing of hype because we've always heard about it in yes. our, you know, yes. things we look up, Grand yeah. Hotel, and has all the stars. And so I think it's just, it's that, oh, this is Grand Hotel, huh? And we recognize it a lot it so on many times. It did a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And it yeah, sounds like I it agree. had a lot of firsts, but the fucking story just wasn't there. And the length. We could have cut the length a bit. Yeah. So can you imagine if they left the stuff in of of Joan Crawford? No. That would have been interesting. It would have been interesting, but it would have been a three-hour film. Like, this, we are already saying that this film was too long to to begin with. Agreed. So next week. All right. Next week is me. And... uh, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I know the so. It's so much pressure when okay. it's your week. I know, and it's Black History Month, so I was trying to go a couple of like, the, but I wanted something like, like a happy movie or, well, classic. It's not. It's hard to find. But then every single movie I was picking, you guys had done before, like pre me. <laughs> We did a lot of movies before you joined us. Yeah. And so I had two direct. And I was like, well, it's also Winter Olympics. Mm. Yes. So original, there's a movie about, uh, called Race. Oh. We're not doing it. Um, <laughs> about Jesse wrong? Owens. Oh. Oh, Jesse Owens. But 
all the reviews were terrible. Yeah. I like so I was just like, let's not even do that. Oh, what, what Hollywood butchered the Jesse Owens story? Are we? Yeah. Can you? <laughs> I, can you imagine? Many times. So I went with my first thought. Yes. We're going to 1981. Oh, I was gonna say Cool Runnings. <laughs> I almost picked Cool Runnings. <laughs> I did. We could do it instead if you want. Um, it's your choice. I just thought I was. Maybe that's the next week. It's Cool Runnings. Um, but I did this because when I was a young cellist, I had to play this score in front of an audience. Young cellist, 1984 yeah. Olympics. Oh. Uh, let's see who directed it. Hugh Hudson, never heard of him. What? Written by Colin Wellen, never heard of him. Oh, starring Ben Cross, never heard of him. Ian Charlson, Nigel Havers, Cheryl oh. Campbell. Have you heard of any of these people? No. No. Mm-hmm. 1981 is a bit of a blank spot for me, as I was one year but old. About 1920, something that happened in 1924. 1924. Is it about a like a black bicyclist racer? No, we oh. no. I thought it was like the Hennessy commercials with Nas. We didn't end up going. Guy. We went. We went Olympics, not Black History. We didn't. That's fine. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. Okay. I know. I should have even gone into that. You know what the white girl does. I know. I told you. I would you rather watch the shitty butcher Jesse? No. No. Okay, we're going Olympics because it happened in the Olympics in the 20s. Oh man. Okay. So so there's gonna be no black people in this film. No. I know. You're going to get me canceled. I'm not getting you canceled. There are Jewish Jewish people, though. We do black history every month. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. Why did we didn't? Mm -hmm. Well, that was also where my thought process is going. Why am I going to do a shitty Olympics movie just for Black History Month when we do that every month? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Cobra Runnings would have been a good choice, though. Um, (laughs) Okay. It does have to do with running. I can't believe you're not guessing. Chariots this. of Fire. Yes. I've never seen this. This is I've, great. Oh, neither have I. I but have I have seen played it. the score. Wow. It has a phenomenal soundtrack. Yeah. It does. Nice. Okay. And when you were talking about movies without the music, I was like, oh, shit. This, this movie's all about the music. I know what a, what an all time score. This is gonna be I I remember okay, I was in Germany eighty one. <laughs> no, because we came back in eighty two. I went to see this with my one friend from childhood, and you must have stayed home with Grammy and Pa. And but I went to. Sh- but you said you came home from Germany in 82, and this movie came out in 81. Yeah. So uh, I remember seeing this with my girlfriend in 82. In America. In, in America. Mm-hmm. 
It's a true story of two British athletes in the 1924 Olympics. Yes. A devout Scottish Christian who runs for the glory of God and an English Jew who runs to overcome prejudice. What could go wrong? wrong? (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? It, it, because I think it won the Academy Award. I think so. I think so too. I just instantly hear the music and I see all the white little legs running in the water with really short, short, short shorts. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It won best picture, best screenplay, best Mm -hmm. costume, best original score. Yeah, Yeah. it did. Best film. Yeah. That's British nominated for best director, supporting actor and film editing. There you go. Okay. Well, Excellent. Excellent. Keeping up with the Olympics. Next week, we're going to do Chariots of Fire. Can't you all hear it? I can't. I daren't start to hum it because it won't sound anything like. Hum it, Mom. Do, do. Do, do. Do? Again, (laughs) I'm not doing that. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this week's Grand Hotel. A little bit of a disappointment, but uh, But Hollywood royalty. It did have some gems. Yes, yes, three. You got to see a happy Greta Garbo. That doesn't happen frequently. And a young, a young, sultry Joan Crawford. Young, young Joan Crawford. So, um, well, there you go, folks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.